And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletics Football GM Podcast. And now, the Athletics Mike Sando and former NFL Executive of the Year, Randy Muir. Welcome, everybody, to the Football GM Podcast. Mike Sando here, senior writer from The Athletic, along with the GM, Randy Mueller. And Randy, you know, we really lament as we're down to one game left in the season. There's just no news going on. There's nothing really to discuss for the GM, right? You, what do you do in the offseason as a GM, Randy? You're, you're clearly golfing all the time, right? <laughs> yeah, just twiddling your thumbs. I'll tell you what, it's, it's a crazy weekend without football, and I think probably a a little, uh, you know, uh, banner goes up as to GMs are open for business in the off season, so it's kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. As today, you know, of course, we'll talk about the big Matthew Stafford trade to the Rams. Uh, not only how it affects the Rams and the Lions, but the other teams, Indy, San Francisco, that were you know rumored or actually in the search for quarterbacks. Big Ben, speaking of quarterbacks in Pittsburgh, has some contract issues to work through. Packers fired Mike Pettin. Not a big shock, but we have some things to talk about there. The Lions front office. The restructure, the structuring of it is interesting to us. But, Randy, I can tell you, as a beat reporter uh, for years and now an NFL columnist, you know, when you meet people that are outside of the business of football and aren't on the football schedule, it would be common for them to say, oh, well, what do you do in the offseason? And then I would always say, well, actually, the offseason could be maybe a little less structured but busier than the season for stuff that's going on. And really, it's not until the second half of June, you know, first week or so of July, that it actually usually does get quiet enough that you might take a vacation or or those types of things. But there's no vacation now. Let's just start this thing off the top. Matt Stafford to the Rams. And Saturday night, we're just sort of sitting there. Randy, what were your initial thoughts? And, And now that you've thought through it, what do you think? I'll tell you what, it's it's one of those all-encompassing moves that there are so many angles and layers to this deal, Mike, that I'm going to apologize to the listeners right now. I might just blurt stuff out halfway through the <laughs> halfway through the podcast that things come to my mind, you know. There's no yeah, way yeah. we can we can put parentheses around it and combine all of our thoughts into one segment. It's just kind of crazy. It led me to to believe that the Rams are in general all in for this year. Um, that it really doesn't matter what they've done contract-wise in the past. They're willing to to uh, pivot and do something totally different and that their owner really isn't cash conscious at all because they have burned through a lot of cash the last few years. So you can talk about their cap being in trouble, but yeah, they, they, there yeah. is no traditional thinking involved in this. Uh, and the other thing was that jumped out at me is people's cap space when I say people, I'm talking about in this specific case, Detroit, their cap space is for rent, right? <laughs> in this day of rental values going down and under COVID, cap space for teams is is still valuable. And really, that's what 
Detroit did as much as anything, I thought, is rent cap space for a couple years and take on cap, uh, you know, baggage from another team. We see this in baseball. We even see it in basketball, you know, occasionally. But we really hadn't seen it in football. We saw a move, one one move made several years back when uh, the Houstons moved Osweiler, his his money, the, the contract to him to Cleveland. And Cleveland took on some cap for a price. I think part of this deal that, that stuck with me most was the fact that Detroit was willing to take on some cap and, and allow the Rams to flush some cap. And, of course, that's Jared Goff's contract. But there's so many different yeah. angles to this deal. Yeah, and that, but my initial thought was that, too, that, okay, the Rams might have had to pay more to get uh, the Lions to take the Goff contract. But then I had a couple of good conversations over the weekend that I might have got convinced the other way in, in this. When you have a trade— what, uh, let's just say for lack of, I hate the word asset uh, to describe people, but but if it's a pick or a, a player. It's a business though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It doesn't mean the same thing to one team as it does right. for another. So in this move, Jared Goff was not particularly valuable to the Rams because they'd kind of crapped all over him. I mean, the right. head coach, the, the GM was looking at his watch and saying, hey, he's <laughs> January 26th, he's our quarterback. I mean, you couldn't right. have been more dismissive of Goff. So Goff was garbage to them. They had to take him out and put him by the curb. To the Lions, though, that may not be the case. To the Lions, he's a young, he's plausibly a, a young quarterback who's had success in the league, who they they may have had a second round grade on coming out. I'll just make that up, right? I mean, people thought that he was probably a second some, round some grade. Some of us did. Let me interject yeah. that. Some of us yeah. did. <laughs> but that was a common thing. that When he came out, it was common that, hey, he and even Wentz were kind of second round grades, but you push him up to the top. And if you need a guy, you, you go all in and you get him at the top of the draft for better or worse. That happens in the league. Right. Um, so for the Lions, he wasn't a sunk cost. I mean, for the Lions, they're getting somebody who could be their starting quarterback for two years with potential for some upside. So from that standpoint, he's not Osweiler. Osweiler was not a starter in the league when he was tra- traded. I think Goff can still be a starter in the league. Is that do you buy that? Yeah, I think you're probably right. I also think there's an unbelievable need out there for serviceable quarterbacks. And in this case, I, I don't have Goff as a top tier quarterback. I, I mean, probably not right. in your quarterback. He's list. a third tier. Yeah, yeah, he's a third tier guy. So that probably puts him 15 or lower. But I do think. It, and it, this has been there forever. There's a scramble for quarterbacks that are serviceable. There's some teams that, that I feel like don't have serviceable quarterbacks. And the, the, it just shows there's value out there for anybody. And, and we're going to get into some of this as we go through the through the pod. But, I mean, what do the 49ers do with Jimmy Grappolo? He's probably the similar guy that's a serviceable guy, but he may not be the right guy for them. So, you know, some – some some teams are going to see these differently. Like you said, hey, I remember going back many years ago when I was in Seattle, we traded Rick Meyer, who we drafted with the second pick in the draft, a quarterback from Notre Dame who I loved, great kid and, and one of my favorite guys to play golf with. But he had had a bad season for us in Seattle. We ended up turning him into a first round pick and trading him to the Chicago Bears. And I remember coming out of the, the trade thinking, you know, we probably did pretty good with this. And I, I encountered a, an old friend of ours, Claire Farnsworth, at the hall at the end of the hall after making this deal. It was within an hour. Long time beat reporter, yes. great guy, greatest guy in the world. Yes, Claire. Seattle Post Intelligencer, and, and and I remember Claire saying to me, he said, "You didn't get a first round pick for Rick Meyer, did you?" <laughs> and he was kind of shyishly saying that. But yeah, it just goes to show that it, it it can work other places, and that's not a slight on Rick. It's just that. We were able to send him to Chicago. Uh, he's a Notre Dame guy. 
It was a big name in Chicago at that time. It made sense to them. So as goofy as, like you said, yeah. the golf thing doesn't make sense to the Rams, it makes sense to, to Detroit. And I think there's some other teams in this boat as well where, where we may find lesser value with players that they deem uh, possible yeah. solutions going forward. The big difference is, you know, when Rick Meyer was traded, Dennis Erickson was coming in with a new staff. It wasn't his guy. The Rams just paid Goff 17 yeah. months ago, and right. now here they are. So my takeaways from that are they paid Goff too early. I mean, I think clearly the Wentz deal had gotten done, and they, you know, were a little bit, I don't know if they were hemmed in or what, but they went too big too soon if you're not absolutely all in. Um, but the second part is, you can't always predict when the chance to upgrade at that position comes along and where your team will be at at that time. A Matthew Stafford typically doesn't get traded. Oh, yeah. You, no, you know what I mean? You, you usually don't have that. somebody. So so you, when you have an opportunity as a GM that's different than any other time in your history as a GM, sometimes you make a move then that disrupts other things. And so people have this idea that, well, you committed to golf. Right. You can't. You have to stick with them. Well, not really. I mean, not if you get someone. So, like in the quarterback tier survey that I do every year, Randy and, and we ran through it with you, uh, where I talked to fifty coaches and evaluators in the league. Coming off of last year, Matthew Stafford was ninth in the league, and he that's with missing half the year. He got five top tier votes, five tier one. I mean, which yeah. is you know Mahomes and Rogers level, and almost all the rest were in tier two, which is really good. Right. Goff was 16th, like you said, outside yeah. the top 15. So, Randy, if you had paid, let's just think of another example. Let's just say the Vikings had paid Kirk Cousins or any of these teams, Derek Carr had gotten paid, anyone, depending how you view a quarterback, who's not in the top 10. Right. If you were then to get a top 10 quarterback available, are you short-sighted and selling the farm when you when you trade to get him if you think your team can take the next step and maybe win a Super Bowl with that quarterback? I don't think so. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think if you have a chance and the opening is there, you have to make it. I think the thing that makes this a little peculiar is that in, in that tradition has not shown teams that have paid players cap-wise and cash-wise, to then 18 months later turn around and have an about-face. And I think that's where the credibility issue comes for me with the Rams. I understand they're all in. I don't have any question that Stafford's an upgrade over Goff. But they did this with Todd Gurley. They did this with Brandon Cooks. Now they're doing this with this uh, with this kid. Two things. One, they've went to the well to the owner's pocket several times now and then turned around and changed course. I think the credibility starts to erode a little bit above you if you keep changing course. And again, I understand how this one happened, but this is now three yeah. times that they've paid people and now they've moved on. Yeah. And the other thing was that the Rams, in this case, they went to the Super Bowl two years ago. They've, they've had a bunch of change since then. I just think the Rams are a little bit knee-jerk at times. And, and sometimes that's you go that route when when the coach is your lead decision maker. It's kind of like oh, yeah. ready, fire, aim. You know, well, wait a second. If we hadn't blown up the building, we'd have a place to meet today. So there's some of that I I see from afar going on in, in L.A. Yep. And I think that comes with the personality of a young coach. And again, I, we both think Sean McVay is a great coach. I definitely agree with that. But at the same time, I do think you need to stay the course in more times than not, and that you can't keep changing your mind and jumping all around. It's yep. it's a, it's a hard one to to build on now, and, and we'll 
it's crazy to think they're going to have $42 million tied up at quarterback next year. And the salary cap is going to be 175, 180. That's a crazy amount of money. And I don't know at the end of the day, if they're going to be able to put a competitive team together with him around him. I guess that's where my questions are. And as the offensive coordinator, the head coach, you know, in this case, McVay, he's got his quarterback, he's got his receivers under contract. He figures he can make it work. Well, there's a lot of other things that go into this, and it's a humbling experience. So I guess what I'm saying is, yeah, they're all in for now, but be careful because uh, this game finds yeah. a way to come up and bite you in the butt, you know, awful oh, quick when you think you have all the answers. No doubt about it. I, I think, you know, talking about Gurley, Cooks, and now Stafford, I, I think obviously the difference now is that you're upgrading with a player to Stafford, whereas it wasn't like with Gurley they got McCaffrey or with Cooks they got Stephon Diggs. Those were just freaking throw them overboard, you know, they sink to the bottom of the ocean and we move on. I feel like this one, at least you're getting enough of an upgrade so that uh, the Vegas odds makers have moved the Rams Super Bowl odds from 18 to 1 to 10 to 1. Um, well, if you can make a move that changes your Super Bowl odds from 18 to 1 to 10 to 1, I I don't have a problem trading away, you know, what you're hoping to be, not guaranteed to be, bottom of the round picks. And when you go back and look, I did this after the trade, you look at all the players over the last 20 years that the Rams and Lions have picked from 20 to 32. It's a bunch of tight ends and running backs and non-pass rushing linebackers. You know, sure, there's a Steven Jackson there, but there, were, there weren't three guys you'd trade for Matthew Stafford. So that's what the Lions are getting. They're get, for them, it's fine. They're getting out of Stafford, who didn't want to be there. They're, they've got a six-year deal for the coach, and they get a young quarterback, and they get rid of Stafford, and it's over, and, and they can move on. But you know, to think that those two late, probably first round picks are going to remake their franchise. They're for the Lions in the past. That's Brandon Pettigrew, the tight end, good player. No doubt. I think that you're right. There's a million different layers. And that's why I think the trade is so fascinating without getting too deep into the weeds. When you're talking about some specifics on golf, and I think this is probably what sent McVeigh over the edge on him. And, and this was after a little film study myself the last few days, the big things that jumped out at me about golf were he's a little slow to process. And I was really disappointed in his movement within the pocket that doesn't allow him to kind of alter his release points and and face rushers from a different angle and get the ball off when he's pressured. And those were the things that I think led to the multiple turnovers and, and the, the things that really frustrate coaches. I don't yes, know that that's yeah. – yeah, and so I see it. I get why Mc, McVeigh is doing what he's doing. Goff, to me, needed a perfect pocket to – but I think he's always been this way. He needed a perfect pocket They had to that succeed. before, though. When yes, they had, they were better when, at it. When yes. the defense had eyes on Gurley, when their offensive line was a little more whole, veteran centers and, you know, uh, Whitworth in his prime or whatever, you know, maybe you could get those. But when you watch the highlights of Stafford, those are all the things he does. I mean, he right. changes the arm slot, right. you know, and throws a side armor into a tight window, and you go, wow, yeah. you can totally see. And everyone I talk to when I do the quarterback tears thing, they all want to coach Stafford. All the coaches want to right. coach Stafford. Oh, if I could get him, shoot, if he was with Andy Reid, they'd win right. the Super Bowl. And now... We get to find out. This is a kind of a cool thing, right? To to actually to actually get to see how a major environment changed from a bad situation offensively to an ostensibly good one affects right. the trajectory yeah. of a player and teams. We'll see, but it's all about fit, right? We'll see if Stafford's fit can be combined with McVeigh's creativity. Um, Stafford always said, hey, I want to play for a coach like this. We'll see. And then you have Goff going the other way. I think the things I just pointed out about Goff are still going to be there when he gets to Detroit. So they're going to have to uh, do things a little different way. 
and they've got a new staff, a new new coordinator, a whole new philosophy there. We'll see if Goff can fit in there. I did think one, and again, I know we're going to hit on some of these things as we go through the podcast, but one thing that spun off of this for me in, in just looking at the analyzing of all this trade, I, this, this kind of made me laugh because we talked about this last week in the podcast was, where does uh, Brady leave in New England, leave New England? Well, this was our first indicator of that when Stafford apparently has said, you can trade me anywhere but New England. So I thought that was, it made me smile. You didn't want to map Trisha Reunion? Yeah, you know, and I, I think uh, <laughs> that was that was being said by a lot of media outlets as well. Maybe that relationship between Patricia and, God, and uh, Stafford was going to uh, make that a, a landing spot for him. Well, whoops, not so fast. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. funny, Randy, you know, as we go back and, you know, we'll, we'll be texting each other, you know, a lot of times about, oh, for the podcast next week, I think that was an ad, a late ad for you last week was, hey, are the Patriots irrelevant and all of this stuff? I mean, who, who's going to want to go there? So it's a nice segue into, yeah. you know, kind of our next uh, topic within this topic, which is, you know, there were other teams sort of left at the altar here. You know, Indy's got the owner, Jim Irsay, saying, <laughs> oh, we are a quarterback. We are a veteran quarterback away. Hey, by the way, Andrew Luck, if you want to come out of retirement, come right over yeah. here. Big right. open arms. I mean, which is an odd thing to say. I mean, <laughs> I thought. I mean, it was almost yeah. kind of desperate. Maybe they know something. Maybe he's getting in shape or something. But there's other teams. San Francisco. You know, you mentioned New England. Uh, whether it's Denver, Washington, Carolina. So the Stafford deal goes down. We've been talking about like, oh, we're going to be an amazing frenzy of activity at quarterback. But you start going through the veteran quarterbacks. Right. I mean, there's not five more Staffords out there. So where yeah. are these teams? I think that's one of the reasons the, the price was high is that Stafford was at the top of the heap and we're going downhill from here. And like you said, we got Washington, you got Carolina, you got San Francisco, you got Denver, you got Indy. All of these teams, this process kind of smoked them out, right? <laughs> they all came out of out of the hut to say, hey, put we want to make a deal for a quarterback. Well, now they're left with one. I think they have to do a little damage control on their own end because their current quarterbacks obviously know they're in the market now. So they're going to have to patch that up a little bit. But I'm with you. I don't know where they're going to get these quarterbacks. I hear the, the gurus on TV saying it's going to be unprecedented. You know, 18 teams are going to change quarterbacks. I'd like to know where they're going to find 18 different quarterbacks you know, <laughs> as options because I don't see it. I, and I'm with you. I had Stafford in the top 10. And now we're going to deal with quarterbacks 15 and below. And I just don't know where the answers are going to be. So I think it's more of same old, same old with regard to quarterbacks. Everybody's looking for one. I don't know where they're going to get them. Well, yeah. So what would you do if you're if you're Chris Ballard now? And I can see why Ballard wouldn't make this move. I mean, I think he yeah. he is not a go-all-in guy, right? He's a little bit right. more of a stick-to-our-process. And look, if we miss on a, a few guys— you know, we're not going to pay Sammy Watkins $16 million a year a few years ago, right? I mean, he, yep. he'll just bow out, and he's not going to worry about it as much. Uh, whereas I think Rams in that L.A. market, they feel pressure to stay relevant and, and always be reinventing, and, and, and we got to go for it. Um, yeah. So what would, you know, Ballard's sort of usually taken sort of a long-haul approach to this thing, but they got the team now, and they don't have the quarterback. So what should they do is, you know, is, should they be trying to get, I don't know. I mean, Matt Ryan or somebody or what, what's the move? Yeah, I think there's a couple moves that that have have, you know, been flushed out already. And now with regard to the Colts, and I think this is the same with some other teams as well. I think they probably have to go back and refocus on the draft and where we can position ourselves in the draft. But again, there's a there's a couple rookie quarterbacks that I could see coming in and playing right away. There's several more that 
the draft gurus have up there as being the answer, I'm not buying that at all. I, I don't want to really necessarily pick a quarterback at 15 and, de- and decide he's going to be our starter. You know, there's not a lot of Pat Mahomes out there running around. So I think it's definitely put them back to the drawing board. And I agree, it didn't make sense for Chris Ballard in Indianapolis or maybe even a couple of these other teams to go all in and, and offer up a package like this. Uh, so there, yeah, they're back to to finding a window somewhere else. I think it's interesting in that some of the quarterbacks now that they'll go back and look at are, you know, the Garoppolo's, the Sam Darnolds, um, maybe even a Roethlisberger per se, if you could pry him out of Pittsburgh. That's the kind of caliber you're going to get uh, if you're looking still for a quarterback. And like you say, maybe a Matt Ryan. I don't know. I, I just think Contract-wise, not everybody believes like the Rams that you can take on dead money and and build the rest of your team. So in Matt Ryan's case, I just don't see him going anywhere. I know Rich McKay and have known him for years. I just can't imagine them having a $40 million cap hit by letting their quarterback go. So I don't know that that he's the answer to to go somewhere else. So I I don't really know where a lot of these teams are going to go to find their quarterbacks. I think that will be fascinating. I'm betting the under on quarterback movement. When a lot of people, you know, mainly media speculation, are betting the over. I hate those media guys too, Randy. Those guys are just. Well, terrible. I'm not. Yeah, no, no, I'm not no, blaming I'm them. I'm just saying right. I understand right. what works for, for, yeah. for what people want to hear. I just don't think it's real. I mean, you can say, oh, we're going to go all in for Deshaun Watson, but that, that's not going to happen in my mind. So the options are limited. Oh yeah, we will talk about him today too. You know, think of this though. So uh, let me come at this from another angle. So uh, this trade with Stafford and uh, Goff, it's agreed to, but it can't happen and be processed until the league year starts, whatever, March 18th or 17th, right? So let's just go back to Matt Ryan, okay? So Matt Ryan does not hurt the Falcons cap to trade at all if you do it after June 1. So um, by then, they will know what they did with the fourth pick in the draft, right? Maybe they got a quarterback they're excited about, and they want to have a press conference with them and introduce them as the future. And you know what? Let's just roll with them. So if you trade Matt Ryan before June 1, well, his $40 million cap hit goes to $49 million, almost $50 million, right? Mm-hmm. If you trade him, or let's see, if you trade him, yeah, if his cap hit goes from 40 to 44 okay, uh, if he is traded before June 1. If he's traded after June one, they pick up twenty three million in space. He only counts seventeen nine. He goes from forty to seventeen nine. I'm looking at this on overthecap.com, which is a great reference that Jason Fitzgerald puts together. Um, really is a go to site for this type of stuff. But Randy, why couldn't he be traded the 49ers then? He doesn't need to learn Kyle Shanahan's offense. There's not, not going to be a plausible off season this year. We're still in the COVID thing. You're not going to miss right. that much making a move late. Could something like that be plausible or is this media talking out of our you know what? Well, I think it's plausible. But then again, you're talking about 37 year old quarterbacks, right? And how long is that? 35. Answer? 35. He's 35. I guess it's been this 37. That's right. You know, I don't know. I think that's what will be discussed after the draft, per se. That'll be the last resort type things where teams will call around. We didn't get done what we needed to get done during the draft. Now we can make a post-June 1 move. Again, I I don't have a crystal ball. We'll see how some of that shakes out. I just know this, that teams, the majority of teams are reluctant to do what has just happened in this trade. Uh, with regard to cap space with Detroit and and the Rams. So to think everybody's of this ilk and willing to flush the kind of cash that especially the Rams have done, is it just doesn't happen. It's not going to happen. So I think the deck is stacked against us on some of this, that's for sure. 
So, you know, we didn't put this on our list this morning, but we, we meant to. The Deshaun Watson situation does need to be addressed because I think we're going to be reading over and over about the best trade package, where he should go and all that. I think from our sort of conversations, should we be talking about where he could go or is this a long way from ending in your, in your mind? I think it's a long haul and, and it was only strengthened by the fact that Nick Casario came out and said what any GM with uh, his worth of uh, weight would say is, hey, we're committed to Deshaun Watson. We are not interested in trading him. He's not going anywhere. The only thing we've heard is is really Deshaun's version. We've heard the agent's version of why he has to go. And the media automatically jumps on board and, and hey, they have a mouthpiece in this and they've tried to exert pressure. That's an old ploy that GMs in this league and every sports league have learned for years. The pressure uh, uh, that media can put on teams is really short-lived. This this eventually will go away. I'll be honest. The big one over the weekend was, well, he deleted all the social media accounts that had anything, anything to do with the Texans. You know what? In the old days, we'd just say, here's a quarter, go call someone who cares. I don't really care about that at all, right? I really don't care about his social media accounts. That has nothing to do with us. It doesn't mean anything to me. Those are just more ways to exert pressure from Deshaun's point of view. And I understand that. That's what he has to do. He has to keep it in the news, right? He has to keep it a story. Because once it dies down and goes away, what other card does he have to play? I just don't think, see the Texans are going to go for this. They might have prior to Nick Casario being involved, but I have some faith in Nick that he'll do the right thing. And I just don't see this guy going away. Where are they going to get a quarterback for this? Unless you can trade him to, to Jacksonville Jaguars for the first pick. Now we got something to talk about. So I just don't see that happening. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think also for for his standpoint to really, I don't, I don't know if that it helps him to constantly have things be coming out through the media. I think you almost start to look, after a while, you start to look yeah. like you're the one who's antsy. And if right. you want to send the message to the front office that you're serious, just go dark. <laughs> just don't return their calls. Yeah. And I think don't at some point that, yeah, at some point you're probably right. That'll, that'll be his next play. That's what, you, that's what I would do on his side is if I really wanted out. If I just decided, you know what, I'm willing to lose money and all that. And we shoot, uh, I was covering the team, uh, the Seahawks, when you were in the front office and Joey Galloway missed most of the season. Yep. Um, so some guys are willing to do it. It's a rarity. But if he is willing to do it, I think he can, he can steer it. It's but just, here's the thing, and you know this, there are so many leverage points that the Texans have that you are now just starting to hear about, but the GMs and people on the inside have known this forever. The, the CBA is set up to, to not allow these kind of moves. When you sign a contract, uh, you have different parameters in place that if he decides he doesn't want to play there, what's he going to do? He can't withhold services. I mean, he can, but it's going to cost him his whole contract. It's going to cost him, you know, fines. He has a, a de-escalator in there. If he doesn't show up for off-season workouts, that costs him a half million dollars. There's a million other things in there, actually 21 million of them throughout the whole process that he would have to forfeit payback. He's got 40 million in guarantees that he would risk voiding if he withholds services. So there's so many financial things coming up down the road that work against yep. Deshaun Watson, and and the team knows that. So I just don't. I think the leverage is is more in the middle than it is all swayed yep. toward toward Deshaun. But all we hear about is the Deshaun Watson yes. side of the leverage, right? Um, and the and the Texans are never going to come out against him and and point out any of this stuff. But people that understand how the system works are obviously going to understand that the Texans will have a say. They, they'll have a word before this is done. Yep, absolutely. Uh, let's just quickly hit on the Ben Roethlisberger situation. You know, he they were 11-0 at one point, and, 
yet I don't think anybody would say that their offense was great or Roethlisberger had a great year or certainly by the end of the year that he looked great. And and so, you know, the front office of the of the Steelers basically said, oh, yeah, you know, we could probably take him back, but not under his current contract. I think it's important to read between the lines on these things. And I, it's like, how much do they want him back? You know what I mean? Would you want him back? Because even though he's talking about less money or the money's not important, it's, he's not going to play for a million dollars. So right. um, I'm a little bit torn on this one. I, I didn't love just the way, the style of offense they play with him. Yeah, maybe they they made the change at coordinator because of that. I think that was probably the Steelers' view as well. I think the big thing in in this case is, and you you heard Mr. Rooney say this, you've heard uh, Roethlisberger's side of it, like you said. Ben is willing to adjust his contract. And in most cases, that means, well, he's willing to push time off. He's willing to renegotiate. Renegotiating is not the same thing as reducing. People need to understand that. And I think from the Steelers' standpoint – Although I do think they can win with Ben, I think Ben is is a functional player still, and I don't know that they'll be able to upgrade from it. I just think you're right in that you're going to have they're going to have to determine what that's worth to them. For me, a, a quarterback like Ben, I don't really want to push off a bunch more money into future years. It's just going to handicap me down the road. And by renegotiating, that's what that does. That means you're Ben still gets his money, but but you uh, convert. Uh, roster bonuses, or you convert base salary into signing bonus and then prorate that over the time of the contract. Well, I don't know that that's a smart business deal for the Steelers. I'm more apt to think that they offer him a deal like a a Phillip Rivers or even Tom Brady. It's a one-year, $25 million deal and fully guarantee it. And that seems to be the going rate for older quarterbacks toward the end of their, you know, uh, careers. That's. I just think that the the perception is Ben will play for less, and like you said, I don't know if that's true. He'll play for less cap uh, for sure, but it's not going to play for a lot less money. I yeah, would they're, find they're out. To, I w- yeah, they're going to have to find out, no doubt. I think I would maybe press them a little bit, you know, yeah. and, and just hey, here's what we can here's what we can do. We can slot this a month. Hey, we don't, you know, and then see how much he really wants to play. Yeah, because it it just didn't feel right or look right the way they're playing, and right. I want him to be completely in to playing and wanting to keep going and not just sort of in and and making twenty five million dollars, which is great, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I think him taking less though may be yeah. um, part of the reason they can upgrade with yeah. with a, a different back with some offensive linemen. Let's face it, the Steelers weren't the physical mash, smash mouth football team that we've known for years. So they've got to find a way. And they've got a couple key free agents on the other side of the ball that they've got to make a decision on as well. So that yeah, the, yeah. the amount of money that Roethlisberger takes will be will have a direct effect on the quality of team they put around him. I wonder if they can get Mike Munchak back too. No one ever talks about yeah. having a great no offensive kidding. line coach. But as you know, from on the inside of buildings, that's one of the most important positions. And when you I don't, I'm not, I can't, I'm not saying the Steelers don't have a good one, but when you have a great one um, like that and they leave, it's a big deal to your no whole question. offense, you know? Yeah, so. no question. I'm, I'm surprised, and you mentioned Mike's I'm name, I'm surprised he doesn't get more mention around the league as a uh, head coaching candidate because he yeah. had his, a lot of pluses when he was in Tennessee, and, and I agree with you. I think he's one of the best yep. old line coaches in the business. Yep. So Packers, by the way, uh, probably should be playing in this Super Bowl. I mean, they lost at home to Tampa Bay, but they didn't. And we there were a lot of reasons why they didn't win. But that end of half call, 
where they played a little bit riskier coverage and gave up a yeah. touchdown pass, 39-yard touchdown pass to Scott Miller uh, that really swung the game against them, probably plays a role in the firing of Mike Pettin as defensive coordinator. And to be fair to Mike Pettin, in his three-year run there, they were 10th in scoring defense. Even under Lafleur, they were 9th. This year, they were 13th. And they were a little bit closer to middle of the pack between 13th and 17th if you want to use a little more advanced metrics on it. But whatever the case, they weren't a bottom five defense by any means. Um, and yet, I don't think anyone's surprised by this, Randy. I mean, I, I, I'm almost, it almost seemed uh, like it was going to happen even if they, right. made, you know, probably not if they'd reached the Super Bowl, but anything short of that. Here's the crazy thing about it. We've we've analyzed the speech that Aaron Rodgers gave at the end into their season right after the game. Really, it's it's as he said, right? <laughs> Everything that he kind of said and insinuated has kind of come true. They fired a special teams coach. They fired the defensive coordinator. Now what are they going to do? You know, so he's put people on notice. Um, and you're right. The numbers come back and give you one story with Mike Pettin. I think where they ended and the results at the end of it. Some, some change had to happen. And that's, I think, what really Aaron Rodgers was saying. We need change here. We can't be satisfied with where we're at. And I think his dialogue and the directing of the questions uh, right out of the gate had a, long, had a lot to do with the change at defensive coordinator. Interesting. So I thought Lafleur also made a telling comment after the game yeah. when, when he was saying, we, we, no excuse, we can't be in that coverage. It sort of reminded me at the end of Seattle season when Pete Carroll was making scheme-specific comments about their offense. And I was like, whoa, that can't be good for their coordinator. And sure enough, they made a change um, as well. One of the things that will come up in talking to offensive-minded coaches and especially head coaches is sometimes those guys, um, at least some of the better ones, view defense in terms of whether it's sound or unsound. And by unsound, we don't mean that it's just completely fundamentally unsound, but we mean a sounder defense, you know, the extreme sound defense would be a a Pete Carroll or more of a zone, play it safe type of a defense. And for sometimes those top offensive play callers, they actually don't like to go against those defenses as much because they can't find the mismatch. They can't find the time when Mike Pettin dials up a crazy call at the end of the half and you get to beat it for a touchdown. That's what the offensive coaches are really into. So I, I always thought it wasn't coincidental in some of these cases, even like a Kyle Shanahan has plays a little bit more of a zone type defense, right? So I wonder what Lafleur has in mind, or, you know, maybe by all indications, they're even looking at young guys. Maybe he wants somebody who can scheme it up. But if you were in the front office there, would you have a preferred style of defense, or is it more just about the coordinator and how well they can teach and coach? I think in, in their case, where they are as a franchise, it really matters as well. So it's kind of about timing. I think they've got to find a way, you're right, to be sound in every way they can. I think on defense, if they just don't screw it up, they're going to have a chance to win a lot of games. You're going to have to mix in some of that with some rush and with some some risk-taking on defense. But what you can't do is you can't make calls like he made. That's the thing that's going to kill you in the long run. And and I think his 
his uh, strategy in, in some other games were, were brought on the table as questionable as well. So I think probably you're going to find, yeah, they might go the younger route, but they're going to find uh, as, as stable of a system as they can so that they know exactly what they're doing and they can actually put the ball in Aaron Rodgers' hands as much as possible. Having said that, that also brings to, to the table some of the blame that could go on Matt LaFleur as well. So I think that's another angle in this. I do think the hire itself will be fascinating. Um, they they are obviously uh, a Super Bowl type team. So what they do to add to that, I don't know. Now, let me ask you this: what what about going the other route? What would you see the Packers if they hired uh, a guy like Wade Phillips? What kind of a move would that? Yeah. Be? Well, that move would be intriguing to me because I think Wade has a history of coming in and getting positive results for at least the first couple of years, and, yes. and then. You know, there's always sort of a feeling when he comes in that, hey, he turned our guys loose. We're thinking less. Yeah. We get a bang out of that. And then after a couple of years, it seems like in some cases people are like, all right, well, we don't necessarily have a change up from that. So unless we just have great talent, let's um, turn it loose. So I, I guess I could see some parallels. I mean, they need some probably personnel upgrades, but at least they have a couple of good rushers. I just think of Wade going into Denver and they had a couple of good rushers, you know, and he mm-hmm. turned them loose. and. And they had a really good uh, defense. Green Bay doesn't have as good of personnel across the board. But I wouldn't be totally against that. How about you? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm for it. I think in that case, it would make some sense. I, I think a, a seasoned, experienced guy who's seen it all will kind of keep you out of the situations that got them in trouble. I just think he, they will have a really good understanding. And, and I don't think they have time in Green Bay, because of where Aaron Rodgers is, to have a learn on the fly. Uh, I think a, a, yeah. a, a job tra- in training type defensive coordinator would be a mistake for them. I just, I don't know how a first time guy would do it. The other guy that came to my mind when it came open was a guy like Chris Richard, who has had some experience in the league, who has tutored under Pete Carroll for years in Seattle. I don't believe he has, has, has found a landing spot either, but these guys have a track record. And I just don't think a first time defensive coordinator in this particular case makes a lot of sense. I think they need to go with a, a more proven commodity, and that's just my opinion. Yep, you can't get it wrong. I agree. Now, they they went with a young, unproven in Lafleur, and it's turned out okay. And I think if Lafleur is looking around, he's going, well, shoot, Sean McVay, my old boss, got uh, you know got Brandon Staley for one year, replaced Wade Phillips, and heck, that guy did well enough that he got a head coaching job. I agree with you, though. It's an unknown. It's a risky. You better be right yeah. um, if you're going to do that. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. We get a couple more topics here we wanted to hit on. Our last one will be asked the GM, and we'll talk about which uh, teams we like their position early in the draft. But one last one that came to mind um, involved Detroit. And, of course, their big, big news um, in making the trade was involving Stafford and the Rams. But you brought up something kind of going into the weekend, you know, and just how much they have changed from an organizational structure standpoint. And as a GM, Randy, who structure is very important to you in the GM role, you didn't like it. Well, I just thought, you know, there's there's a lot of things that have happened here. And again, it's really been emphasized by the trade itself. We can't forget that when they hired the GM and the head coach, they were told ahead of time that we're going to get rid of our best player. So that decision was made by somebody, whether it was the president, the owner, uh, the cap guy, someone decided that this is the best thing going forward. Well, I got news for you. It probably wasn't the best thing from a football standpoint. So the fact that that decision did get made without, and if, again, this is what we read and have been told. If this decision was made without consultation of their top decision makers on the football side, that's a struggle. The other thing is that, and it's come out this week that, you know, uh, the cap guy was elevated. Now everybody, it's a three-headed monster. The GM is really the personnel guy because he has no experience on the cap side or contract-wise. And the coach all report to the president. And then you have Chris Spielman involved in it who who kind of gets to stamp or not stamp any moves that have been made because he's the assistant to the owner or the assistant to the president. There's just a lot of cooks in the kitchen there right well, now. They brought in John Dorsey too, right? Yeah, that's right. And, and, and that's another one. So there's a lot of people involved here that have a lot of different agendas. And that just gave me a little bit of a pause. I remember when Tom Benson hired me from Seattle to come to, to New Orleans, he said, you're going to have the, 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 uh, keys to the to the car and you can set it up by any way you want it. I just found that the decision making process was much uh clearer. It wasn't gray. I felt bad for uh Dan Campbell in that he's taken a lot of heat for really the press conference and some other things, but I was thinking the other day, if he wants to do something different, he's got to sell it one to to Brad Holmes, the GM, who's got to kind of sell it to the cap guy because it's got to make sense to him. Then they got to run it by Chris Spielman, who's then got to take it to the president. There's about five people that got to check off on this on any move they make. We could get paralysis yeah. by overanalysis. And that, that yeah. was just a, a pause for me to say, wait a second. I thought this was going to be a great job. I don't know how great of a job it is in the long haul. 
Yeah, and the president could then turn to John Dorsey and say, hey, you're two-time GM. You drafted yeah. Cleveland and, <laughs> and uh, Kansas City. What do you think we should do? And if you've been around John, I mean, he's going to be very honest. I mean, oh, he's yeah. going to tell you flat out. He's very direct communicator. And he may have a totally different view uh, than Brad Holmes has or, or whatever. So it remains to be seen how it filters out. But I think you're right when it's a little bit vague now. Um, yeah, it just kind of became convoluted for me. Not to say that they can't make it work, but there's just a lot of cooks in the kitchen, so to speak, yep. you know? Yep, absolutely. Well, let's hit our Ask the GM segment here. It's time for Ask the GM. Randy, is there any position in the early first round, meaning a position of where the team is at, um, that you like in this process as we sit here on February 1st? And just a reminder, the top five are Jacksonville, the Jets, Miami, um, Atlanta, Cincinnati. Outside of that, we got Philly and Detroit right there too. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of talk already uh, with regard to the draft and how these teams are are uh, positioning themselves. And gosh, we aren't even we don't even have the Super Bowl behind us yet. Um, I guess my first glance at the top of the draft, kind of how we sit now. I, I mean, it's no secret that it's a quarterback league, and I think that's what drives most of these drafts. I think the Jacksonville position is is pretty settled. They kind of know what they want to do. I think the intriguing spot for me right now is where the Jets are at number two. I think they are in the power position. I think what they determine, you could make a case for, for them drafting Zach Wilson at number two, or you could make a case for them sliding down the pole and acquiring more assets. You know, there's just all kinds of directions that they can pick. They could slide down to four with Atlanta. Uh, and Atlanta can come up for a quarterback, and 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 the Jets are still going to get a great player at four. They might be able to slide down multiple times. So I just feel like if you were, you know, putting me under the gun to what team is kind of in the catbird seat coming as we sit here, you know, February 1st or wherever we're at, looking forward to the draft, I think the Jets are in as good a position as you could be picking second right now because I think all things are open to them. They can put their sign out front and say, hey, for sale, this pick is for sale. And they can decide at the end of the day, you know, maybe we do pick a quarterback, you know. So there's all all decisions are on the table. And I'd like to be in that position, I can tell you that. There's nothing oh. wrong with, as crazy as it might sound, to keeping Sam Darnold and drafting Zach Wilson if he ends up being your number two guy. What's wrong with having two of these guys? And then you can pick who decides uh, who, who's the, the answer for the long haul. So, you know, just a lot of things that that the Jets could get better in a hurry when you combine with what they have cap room wise, uh, which brings up a whole nother topic for next week's podcast on the available cap money. Some of these teams have, there's going to be a lot of good players on the street. So teams that are struggling right now, I think their fortunes can be turned around quickly if they have some sound decision-making at the top. And I think yeah. the Jets are in that spot right now. And internally, if you really, if you really like Sam Darnold and thought, look, we just didn't have enough talent around them and you know, whatever we want to do this and that to the scheme. Um, that would be a pretty good position to be in, <laughs> to be able to move out of there and just pick up picks. And yeah, without a doubt. Really put your stamp on the team with young players that you like. Hopefully you're able to evaluate during this, uh, you know, COVID situation, yeah. which we've talked about before. It can be challenging, but I'm with you. That's a pretty good spot to be in with a lot of options. Um, we we didn't, you, know, you don't think there's any real chance that, that Jacksonville would move out of there for anything, would you? Unless uh, the Deshaun Watson discussion sneaks in there, that's the yeah. one spot that I've said from day one that I don't think they will trade the pick. But if I'm Houston, it's probably the only thing I would listen to. It gives me a chance at Trevor Lawrence. I think you still have a proven commodity in Deshaun Watson, so you probably got to get something in addition to that first pick from Jacksonville. But what about if you're if you're uh, Urban Meyer 
and have a chance to start over with a Deshaun Watson. It's not like he's older. He's 25 years old. We're further down the learning curve right now with Deshaun Watson than we would be with Trevor Lawrence. So there's pros and cons to both sides. Yeah. If you bring Watson there, there's probably a little bit more of an expectation that we're we're good and pressured to make sure we're not wasting uh, perceived to be top five quarterback. Whereas I think when you get a younger guy, there is pressure, but you maybe you get a longer runway. Is that part of the consideration or no? Oh, I think all angles would have to be uh, you know yeah. talked through. That's for sure. I, I could make a case for both sides. I, I do think that the uh, uh, Sean Watson gives you a little bit of both. He gives you a young guy. He gives you some yep. experience, and you kind of have a better. You know, you obviously have more body of work to to see where he's at and where he can go. But you know, uh, yeah. giving up the first pick is is uh, is a risky business too. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. So. Lots of good stuff, and we look forward to doing more of these as inevitably uh, the landscape's going to keep on shifting. Randy, we're, we've we've made it through another edition of the Football GM Podcast. I want to tell people, too, Randy's got some good stuff at MuellerFootball.com. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at RandyMuller underscore. You can find me on Twitter at SandoNFL. Of course, all my columns uh, at The Athletic as well. So thanks, everybody. We'll do this again next time.